Good evening, friends and family. My name is Sipo, and I'd like to say that I'm a recovering addict, amongst other things. I'm also an addictions counselor as well as a psychology student, and also just someone who majors in the field of looking and studying various ways of how to help people. I know that's a very simplistic way to explain, you know, something that is often associated with, you know, a lot of complications. But that's sort of the point that I like to, you know, arrive at at the end of the day with regards to, you know, my profession as well as all the various situations I encounter in it. A state of simplicity, not just in my ability to understand a person, but also in a person's ability to address the situations if I'm ever blessed enough to be the one that helps them to do so. So the reason why I disclosed that I'm an addict is because I wanted to make it clear that, you know, for the longest time in my life, I've literally been the subject of my own torture, you know? Every single day I would use before I came into recovery was literally a day where I was torturing myself, you know? And in a lot of ways, what I'm about to discuss with you, you know, has a lot of personal meaning to me. And also comes a lot from my own personal journey with regards to overcoming various forms of crisis and trauma. Not just previously, but also currently. So I think that, you know, in order for us to understand what we're dealing with, we need to be able to define it. The moment we shine some light on one of those dark parts of our minds, that, you know, causes us all kinds of pain and discomfort. The moment we illuminate something and develop, start to develop an understanding of it. And in that development of an understanding, we start to move towards alleviating whatever distress comes from it. So the first thing I'm going to discuss with you is, you know, a definition of crisis. And there are three basic definitions that are highlighted here on very well mind. The first is by a person by the name of Kaplan. And this was written in 1961. And it refers to crisis as, you know, people are in a state of crisis when they face an obstacle to important life goals. An obstacle that is for a time insurmountable by the use of customary methods of problem solving. That's one of the definitions. The second one, is by a pair by the name of Lillybridge and Clucken. This was written in 1978. And it refers to a crisis as an upset in, in equilibrium at the failure of one's traditional problem-solving approach, which results in disorganization, hopelessness, sadness, confusion, and panic. Given the platform, this is a state that a lot of us tend to be quite familiar with, you know, especially if we're dealing with some form of trauma or abuse. And then there's the last definition I'll be discussing with you today, you know, before elaborating a bit further on what we've just, you know, highlighted. And this one was by a pair by the name of James and Gilliland. Gilliland. And this was written in 2001. Crisis is a perception or experience of an event or situation as an intolerable difficulty that exceeds the person's current resources and coping mechanisms. And then this also goes on to say that there's various types of crisis that, you know, we face on a day-to-day -day basis. If you're wondering what reference I'm using, it's very well mined. I do believe I did mention that earlier, but I'll reiterate. That way, you know, if you do want to research this a bit further, you know exactly where to go. 
So there's various types of crises. In particular, there's three that are you know often highlighted. And the first one is a developmental crisis. You know, and these occur as part of the process of growing and developing through various periods of life. Sometimes a crisis is a predictable part of a life cycle, such as the crisis described in Erickson's stages of psychosocial development. Now, Eric Erickson is, you know, one of my favorite, you know, my favorite authors of, you know, most literature that I have referenced on psychosocial development. And he refers to crises as challenges that people have to, you know, endure at particular growth stages of their lives. He starts off talking about, you know, entirely, entire, he starts off going on about an entire human's life cycle, you know, and you know, references particular crises that, you know, an individual will face. I like how he makes the distinction between, you know, the most favorable outcome when it comes to, you know, facing these crises and also the most unfavorable outcome. And through doing so, he highlights what, you know, may have been missing in situations where someone had been encountering one of the more unfavorable outcomes. And he refers to one thing in particular, and that's an identity crisis that a lot of people start to undergo when they enter their pubescent stage of life. And in this particular stage, this is where a lot of hormonal processes take place, and it almost seems as though one might be dealing with an entirely different person to, you know, who their child may have been before. And the reason why this is because, you know, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of growth taking place. And sometimes, you know, that growth can come across as quite traumatic to the person experiencing it. And this highlights, you know, that, you know, in a lot of ways, crisis can also be, you know, a perceptual thing. And he highlights how it almost seems as though our bones literally break in order for us to grow. And how our hearts as well as our minds often go through an intense strain in order for us to, you know, reach the next stages of our growth. And I think that's a very important thing to make a distinction about. You know, I mean, I know that in my entire life, I often assume that the growth that I endured when I was in my teenage years was sort of a part of life. And that in every other instance, I had to, you know, precipitate that particular growth in order for, you know, me to overcome specific situations. So it almost seemed as though I was frozen in time for quite a long time when it came to, you know, my addiction, surprisingly enough. And I think that's where it also sort of highlights into the entire traumatic aspect. But before I get into the discussion of that, I'm just going to get a little bit more into detail as to, you know, the other two types of crises. The second one that is mentioned over here is an existential crisis. Inner conflicts are related to things such as life purpose, direction, and spirituality. A midlife crisis is one example of a crisis that is often rooted in existential anxiety. You know? Now, in a person's midlife cycle, when they reach that point in time, they start to question a lot of things. Particularly, they look back at their lives and they look at how much life they may potentially have left. And they ask themselves a very fundamental question. Am I where I want to be? Am I who I want to be? And am I doing what I want to do? And not everyone approaches this life cycle quite healthily. In fact, a lot of people tend to fall short, particularly in this, you know, midlife crisis stage. 
And I think it's also the direct result of maladaptive coping mechanisms. Prior to this, I did mention how, you know, I would rely on a lot of, you know, coping mechanisms I developed as a teenager to try and get me through crises that, you know, applied later on in life. You know, for the record, I'm 29 years old this year. And I'm just using that to sort of, you know, make it clear, particularly which life cycle I'm in. You know, I'm still in the adulthood phase. And... It sort of feels as though I have a lot of catching up to do with regards to growing up. And the reason why is because, you know, for the longest time I was, you know, practicing a lot of coping skills that may have served me at a particular stage in life, but didn't serve me later on. And that sort of, you know, comes to life a lot when it comes to discussing an existential crisis, particularly this term that they use, existential anxiety. And that's something that, you know, was stirred up a lot in some of the crises that, you know, or some of the growth areas. Let me not call them all crises. Some of the growth areas I have faced in life. And in a lot of ways, whenever someone is in crisis, this is particularly what stands out. You know, the existential anxiety. As someone who works as a addiction counselor, I often have to help people redefine themselves. And one of the hardest things to do is to let go of an identity that we have spent so much of our time and our lives reinforcing, as well as all of the aspects of it that, you know, associate with it. I spoke about addiction as some form of trauma, some form of abuse against myself, and I'd like to say that abuse isn't just a simple action. In a lot of cases, it forms part of a very intricate and complex lifestyle. And because of that, it's often very hard for people to just stop or to get themselves out of particular situations where they encounter forms of abuse. This brings us to situational crises. These are sudden and unexpected crises, including accidents and natural disasters, getting in a car accident, experiencing a flood or an earthquake, or being the victim of a crime are just a few types of situational crises. And... A crisis can, uh, can sometimes be quite obvious, such as a person losing his or her job, getting divorced, or being involved in some type of accident. In other cases, a personal crisis might be less apparent, but still lead to dramatic changes in behavior and mood. See, a lot of these aspects that were discussed, you know, refer to a lot of physical growth, but then, you know, we often encounter crises on various other areas of our lives. You know, later on in these podcasts, we'll go into a bit more detail as to, you know, particular forms of abuse. And we won't just stop at the physical abuse. We'll touch basis on the psychological, the emotional, and even financial abuse. So, before we get to that, let's rewind a bit and talk about a few of the signs that are often associated with crisis, you know. Now, there's changes in weight, you know, but I like to go a little bit deeper into this and, you know, consider it as fluctuations in appetite, you know. Now, in a lot of cases, when people sort of experience some form of crisis, they tend to either overeat or undereat, you know. And it's all based on a sense of insecurity. You know, normally when we experience some type of a crisis, our sense of vulnerability is often triggered. You know? Because this sense of vulnerability is triggered, we tend to look for things to give us comfort. Because of this, it also means that, you know, it is within our nature 
to sort of have an inclination towards developing a habit of clinging to certain crisis situations as well. Take the changes in weight, for example. You know, a lot of people refer to what's known as eating your feelings. I remember I had quite the weight problem, you know, and I used to joke about it when I was younger. You know, I used to say that the stretch marks on my arms mean that I'm quite the tiger, you know, and it was mostly because of, you know, some form of abuse I was going through and, you know, also the, uh, the state of crisis that induced in my life. And what I would do is I would overeat because in the process of doing that, I was feeling comfortable about myself, you know. I'm going to talk about sexual abuse. Now, in a lot of cases where people encounter sexual abuse, they also develop some form of an eating disorder. A lot of people seem to be under the impression that if they make themselves look unappealing, that such abuse will not, will not occur again. And that just sort of refers to, you know, a sense of tragedy that often you know, occurs as a result of people undergoing certain crises or traumatic events, which brings them to a point where in order to try and bring themselves to some form of equilibrium, if you can call it that, they resort to extremes in order to cure themselves from having experienced something extreme. They refer to a decreased performance at school or work. Now, this is often definitely one of the most you know, prominent indicators of someone being in crisis. In one of the previous definitions, they referred to you know, a crisis as an event that sort of threatens an, ability, an individual's ability to achieve important life goals. And when it comes to school, you know, and this, it also sort of touches basis on the existential aspect of a crisis, where a person might start to question whether or not you know, their life is worth living at all. And I've personally been in that particular situation. And as someone that has, I know that when I reached this particular stage where my school and my work performance started to decrease, I stopped caring about what happened to me, you know? And that, I can honestly attest, is a very dark place to be. Dramatic shifts in sleep habits. And I remember that, you know, the most recent crisis I went through, it literally shifted my entire sleeping pattern. You know, I used to be a person that slept for like, you know, consistent hours on a nightly basis. And it's almost as though, you know, to avoid having to think or deal with whatever it was that, you know, I had gone through, I would augment my sleeping patterns. You know, I'd be like, okay, I'll take two hours to sleep at night and then I'll sleep for another two hours during the day or I do something unhealthy. And you know, there's what they refer to as sleep hygiene. You know, it's something I practice a lot more now. But at this particular point in time, I was not practicing proper sleep hygiene. I know for a fact that sleeplessness caused me a state of euphoria for quite a while, which made me feel as though I was escaping my problems. And because this was the case, it made it harder for me to deal with them when eventually they came to light. Neglect of personal hygiene, I can definitely relate to that. I remember earlier I did mention how a lot of people that have gone through some type of trauma often, you know, assume that, you know, by neglecting their personal hygiene as well as appearance, they're doing something that contributes to them not having to go through that particular trauma. Sudden changes in mood. Oof, this is something I still tend to deal with regularly, you know. I'm quite the moody person, as a lot of people who know me you know, would say. And that's because often, you know, I have to catch myself before reacting on particular emotions that are sort of stirred up. I mentioned how, you know, going through certain crises sort of makes one experience an overbearing sense of vulnerability. And due to this, 
I sort of also felt as though I became a raw nerve and I was very easily triggered by events that happened in life, you know? Something someone would say, even though it wasn't related to me, you know, would really, you know, really offend me. And it becomes hard at some stages to, you know, make sure that I don't react irrationally to, you know, that, you know, that, I, that I'm able to sort of distance myself from this feeling and notice that it's irrational and that, you know, it's only going to lead to more consequences if I react to it. Withdrawal from normal activities, you know, whenever something happens, they mention that it, 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 it puts us out of equilibrium. And one of the key indicators of someone being out of equilibrium is where a few activities that are considered as normal that this person would often pursue, they no longer pursue. Then just to, you know, give us a general idea, I'm just going to, you know, read through a bit of, you know, what to do during a crisis, you know. That way this entire discussion isn't purely one-sided and designed to, you know, bring about an overbearing sense of hopelessness amongst, you know, individuals, but also to sort of teach them what to do in a situation. I mean, we're talking about a situation where our conventional coping skills and strategies don't work. And because that is the case, additional insight is needed as to how to go about properly addressing these particular situations and the effects they have on us. So what to do during a crisis? If you are coping with a crisis or having trouble coping with a crisis, whether it's emotional or situational, there are things that you can do to help ensure your psychological and physical well-being during this difficult time of your life. Prioritize your time. Focus on what's important at the moment. I remember when I was going through a crisis, someone asked me, how do you eat an elephant? Because you know, at this particular point in time, I was overwhelmed by all the, all, 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 all the distress I was going through. I mean, I had so many emotions flowing through me. And the person mentioned one thing at a time. The moment I started to practice that, things started to fall into perspective a lot more for me. And this can mean getting yourself out of an unsafe situation or if it can mean just focusing on, on a basic so that you can get through each day. Avoid taking on too much and conserve your energy so you can deal with the problem you are facing. Uh, I mentioned how I was all over the place. The moment I started to put things into perspective like the way they mentioned over here by prioritizing my time, I started realizing that, you know, I had a lot more time as well as energy to focus on addressing particular forms of distress. Is over here, the next thing they mention is finding help and support. Now, one thing that sort of handicapped me personally, I know I'm going to use a lot of personal references, but you know, that's pretty much how it is. You know, as a human being, I feel as though, you know, based on the fact that I have been through some crisis and have in some way or another found a solution to it, I'm sort of obligated to share this with other human beings, hence me, you know, doing so via this platform. And what we have to do when we are in some form of a crisis is accept that we're not alone and that we have people around us to help and support us. Now, currently, I'm part of quite a few support groups. You know, I'm not trying to mention that you know, I have too many problems for me to bear and need a support group for every problem. Not anything in that sense. What I'm trying to say is that 
I realized at some point after, you know, I overcame my pridefulness and stubbornness and by overcame, I reached a point where it became very clear that it wasn't working as far as addressing the crisis I was going through with is concerned. And I thought I was quite helpless until I did something completely out of character. I asked for help. And the moment I asked for help, I was surprised at just how much help was around me. And now I look for help in abundance when it comes to going through the crises that I have endured and also healing from some of the trauma I have experienced in my past. And attached to this feed, what I will do is I'll attach a few helplines that, you know, specialize in helping individuals deal with crises that they may encounter on a daily basis. But before we get to that, I'd like to talk a little bit about what trauma is. Now, in the American Psychological Association defines trauma in an emotion, is, as an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, or natural disaster. Immediately after the event, shock and denial are typical. Long, longer-term reactions include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, strained relationships, and even physical symptoms like headaches or nausea. While these feelings are normal, some people have difficulty moving on with their lives. Psychologists can help these individuals find constructive ways of managing these emotions. Now, there's various conditions that happen as a result of compounded trauma, but before I get into those, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the types of traumatic events that an individual might, you know, experience. Now, a traumatic event is an accident that causes physical, emotional, spiritual, or psychological harm. The person experiencing the, the distressing events may feel physically threatened or extremely frightened as a result. In some cases, they may not know how to respond or may be in denial about the effect such an event has had. The person will need support and time to recover from the traumatic event and regain emotional and mental stability. Examples of traumatic events are physical pain or injury, for example, a severe car accident, a serious illness, there's war, there's natural disasters, terrorism, witnessing a death, sexual assault or abuse, domestic abuse, Incarceration within the criminal justice system is also listed here as a form of trauma. And over here it asks, what do people do? What do people, how do people respond to traumatic events? Sorry about that. People respond to traumatic events in different ways. Often there are no visible signs. But people may have serious emotional reactions, shock and denial. Shortly afterward, events are normal reactions. Moving past the initial shock usually takes between four and six weeks from the event. This is seen as a difference between an acute stress reaction within four weeks of the event or post-traumatic reaction, which usually happens after four weeks. There's various signs and symptoms that, you know, associated with someone having experienced some form of trauma, like repeated memories of the event or flashbacks, nightmares, intense fears that the traumatic event will recur, particularly around anniversaries of the event and going back to the scene or when going back to the scene of the original event. 
Withdrawal and isolation from day-to-day activities, continued avoidance of reminders of the event, shifts in mood or changes in thought patterns, irritability, sudden dramatic mood shifts, anxiety and nervousness, anger, denial, depression, that can commonly occur along the traumatic stress, along with traumatic stress. Difficulty concentrating, altered sleeping or insomnia, Physical symptoms of stress, such as headaches and nausea, then worsening of an existing medical condition. Now, there's various places an individual can go in order to get a bit more insight as to what they're experiencing. But if you are going through any of these particular signs and symptoms that were mentioned in this podcast, a best place to look for help would be on SADAC. Now, I know that the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, that is what they refer to, yes, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, I don't always get it right when I refer to them, but I know that they're quite helpful when it comes to people looking for some form of immediate relief or immediate assistance, let me, let me rather use that word, immediate assistance from some form of trauma or some form of crisis that they have experienced. Now, from what we have discussed, one thing becomes clear is that we often move into a state of crisis as a result of enduring some form of trauma, you know. And trauma may be the initial onset of it, but crisis is the prolonged exposure of it. So for that reason, I will attach, you know, quite a few references for, you know, anyone who is looking for help when it comes to these things to go through in this podcast. Now, that's about it for today, you know. To next week's podcast, what we will discuss is the specific types of trauma that an individual has gone through. And we'll have a few speakers that will come and share their own personal experience. So you won't just be hearing from me when it comes to these. You'll be hearing from other people of various backgrounds various social economics, as well as various demographics. And the reason why we're doing this is because one of the major approaches with regards to helping someone go through trauma is to help them find a sense of equilibrium. One of the best ways to do that is to sort of normalize without justifying particular trauma. Say you have someone who's in you know, a very violent relationship. We normalize it. And by normalizing, what we mean is that we, 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 we sort of bring it to a level where the person can interpret as well as digest the situation. And in so doing, they get to a state where they realize that this situation isn't you know, acceptable. It's a direct threat to their, to their physical as well as mental and emotional well-being. And in so doing, we help individuals start to cultivate an attitude which leads them to start to develop a heightened sense of care for themselves. Because that's ultimately what was described in this podcast, how, you know, prolonged exposure to crisis and traumatic events over time whittle away an individual's ability to cope and care for themselves. And in so doing, leave us more and more vulnerable to traumatic events that are to come. To an extent, what they can also do is they can also sort of exaggerate certain events that we do go through in life as that are considered to be natural. From my own personal experience, it was puberty. 
My my pubescence wasn't so bad when I look at it now, but only because I got to a stage where someone helped normalize it for me. By doing so, they helped me understand that I wasn't the only one that was going through those particular experiences. And in so doing, I started to become a lot more curious as to what other people had done in order to overcome them. And the moment I became curious about these, I decided I was going to start exploring the various avenues that these very same people had taken. And the moment I started doing that, I started seeing that there's a set path out of trauma and out of crisis. And today, that's pretty much what I spent most of my days trying to teach other people. Before I carry on, uh, I'd just like to thank you for the opportunity of making this podcast. And if you have been listening to this, thank you very much for listening. And I look forward to hearing and seeing you next week. I'll attach my email address to this so that you know anyone who does have any questions, queries, or possible requests for podcasts will know exactly how to reach me. Thank you very much. Have a good night.